awesome. We got the lights on. I can, I can actually see you tonight. Uh, last night it was, uh, yeah, I didn't know if anybody was out there or not. But I'm thrilled that, uh, hey, thank you very much, man. The pulpit bearer. Yes. And he's a fine looking one too, isn't he? All right, so uh, Sunday night we, we talked about the rapture. And of course the rapture is the time when Christ comes for his saints. Last night we, we went to the judgment seat. And of course the judgment seat is when Christ judges his saints and now tonight as you can see in your notes we're getting ready tonight to talk about the greatest event in the history of the world y'all we're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ and of course the second coming of Christ is when Christ comes with his saints and I want you to look with me at the introduction in your notes We'll start this way. It will ever truly make sense out of life, history, the Bible, our very own salvation. There are three key truths in which we must be fully entrenched. And I'm hoping, I'm praying that by the time we walk out of here tonight that we'll have our heads totally wrapped around those three things so that until Jesus comes, we can have our lives wrapped around these three things. And here's the first one. There is one theme that permeates every dimension of existence, and that is Christ's kingdom glory. There is one theme that permeates every dimension of existence, and that is Christ's kingdom glory. And just to make sure that nobody is actually missing the point here, I added a note. If you don't understand what I mean when I say Christ's kingdom glory, what we're talking about is the glory that will be Christ's at his second coming. That's why this is such a big deal. Listen, sometimes in... In our circles, and I'm talking about uh, living faith fellowship type circles, churches that are actually preaching the Bible, that actually believe that we have a Bible. A lot of times we'll talk about the, the theme of the Bible is the second coming of Christ. And of course it, it is, but what we mean when we say that is that the theme of the Bible is what happens at the second coming of Christ. Do you have ears to hear that? It's not the second coming of Christ. It's what actually happens at the second coming of Christ. Because when he returns at the second coming, he establishes his kingdom glory. And the reason that I couch it with that terminology, his kingdom glory, is because, at least to, to some degree, Christ is receiving glory now. Okay, there's a good number of folks in this room tonight. Man, and I appreciate your faithfulness. But, but, but listen, y'all. 
Do you realize compared to the seven and a half billion people on the planet, how few we really are in here tonight? And I just want you to think about how much glory is he receiving tonight? <laughs> okay, I, I, I get it. There's little pockets and places where this is happening, but I want to make sure you understand that what is happening in terms of him receiving glory right now ain't nothing like it's going to be when he comes at his second coming and he establishes his kingdom on the earth. Because that, my brothers and sisters, that is why, from God's perspective, that Christ's kingdom glory is the, the theme that has always permeated every dimension of existence and like i said in in the introduction i'm fully convinced y'all that until we come to the place to where we really understand the theme that is everywhere around us we're going to miss the point of everything that's around us and so let, let me let me take just a few minutes as we get started tonight to to show you why I said that Christ's kingdom glory is God's one theme. He doesn't have two, he doesn't have five, he doesn't have ten. He has one theme that permeates every dimension of existence. And, and a good portion of us already know this. This may be review for all of us, but it's a one whale of a good review for us to come back to the theme of every dimension of existence. But we're here this week to catch everybody up. This is a prophecy conference. We're talking about the key events that are on God's prophetic calendar. And if we miss what actually happens at the second coming, I'm telling you, we're going to miss what life is really all about. Okay, but this theme, no, notice first of all, letter A on your outline, that it is the theme of the Bible. L listen, in every, in every book, the author is working a theme. There's a point that that author is driving at. And listen, in, in God's book, there's a theme. There is a point that he's driving at. And, and to be honest about it, one of the reasons that it's so important for us to talk about that is because God's theme or, and God's point in his book has just about become lost in this anemic brand of Christianity that's going on in the 21st century. Because if you ask most Christians, what is the theme of the Bible? Most of the answers are going to sound very spiritual. They're going to sound good to your ears. But most of the time, if you'll really listen to what is being said when somebody talks about the theme of the Bible, man is going to be the preeminent figure, or he is going to be the primary focus. Because we'll say things like this, that the theme of the Bible is salvation. Hey, you've never met anybody happier to be saved than me. Other people say, the theme of the Bible is the cross. And listen, I can't say enough about the cross. 
The theme of the Bible is the blood of Christ, or it's the revelation of God, of His plan for our lives. And, and, and again, it sounds good, sounds spiritual, but what every one of those are actually saying is that the theme of this book is all about us. And listen, folks. As much as God loves us, as much as God has done for us, this book is not primarily about us. It's about His Son. It's about Jesus. It's about God's plan for Him. And the plan is all about a kingdom. We say this often, and we should. That chronologically, the Bible begins with a struggle over a throne. It ends with somebody ruling and reigning from a throne. And everything in between is who's going to be sitting on that throne. So that from the beginning to the end, what this book does is chronicle the movement of God to put his son on that throne in his kingdom and Satan doing everything in his power not only to counter that plan and confound that plan but to counterfeit that plan and to actually put himself on that throne. And listen, we could literally go the rest of the night making this point that the theme of the Bible is the glory there will be Christ when he comes at his second coming to establish his kingdom on the earth. But we, we do must need move on, okay? But it, the whole book, y'all, is about our Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning from a throne, receiving glory from all of creation. But not only is Christ's kingdom glory, the, the, the glory that will be his at his second coming, the theme of the Bible, but it is also the theme of Bible preaching. And, and again, there's a lot of preachers in, in this room and, and a lot of doggone good ones. And the reason that they're good is not because they're good, it's because they get the theme. And, and there is a theme that all of God's holy preachers have been preaching since the very beginning and you say well how do you know that you're old dude but you ain't that old how do you know in acts chapter 3 we don't have a, a long time to set this up but peter is preaching here acts chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 and he's again this is in a time of transition in the book of Acts, okay? We haven't full, come full circle. We haven't gotten to the stoning of Stephen yet where the major transition happens. And so God is still offering the kingdom to the nation of Israel at this point. And that's what Peter is saying. He's talking to the Jews, to the nation of Israel, and says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Listen, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. 
Listen, you know how when you just, man, you're just going hard and, and you're, you're finally able to just sit down. You know how you just go. Well, let me just tell you something. There's coming a day when God is going to go. Yeah. Ain't that refreshing? It's coming from the presence of the Lord, man. And he shall send Jesus Christ. This is the second coming we're talking about. Which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. And do you understand? That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Christ's kingdom glory that is his at the second coming. It is that time, it's the times of restitution of all things. It's all going to get put back, y'all. Watch this now. Which God hath spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. It's the theme of Bible preaching. I, I, I can't hit that verse without actually hitting Jude 14 where it says, Jude verse 14, and Enoch also... Check this out. The seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. And you remember at the first coming when he came with 10,000s of his saints, right? No, he didn't. All of God's holy prophets. Go all the way back to Bumboy Enoch, the seventh. If you're just going to pick a round number. The seventh from Adam. And you know what old Enoch was preaching about before the first coming of Christ? He was preaching about the, the second coming of Christ. You know why? Because he was a holy prophet. Pastors, we better get busy preaching the theme of the Bible so we can fall in line with fellows like Enoch and all of God's holy prophets since the world began. Okay, so not only is the second coming of Christ the, and the glory that he'll receive when he comes, not only is it the theme of the Bible, not only is it the theme of Bible preaching, but it is also the theme of creation. In John chapter 5, Jesus says something pretty, pretty monumental. He says, as long as I'm in the world, and of course in the first coming he was there, he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2 lets us know something pretty significant about him being the light of the world because in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, it refers to Christ as the Son, the capital S-U-N, the Son of righteousness. And so when the Son of righteousness was on the earth, he was the light of of the world. Okay, you get in the picture, right? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, Jesus left this world and he ascended to the Father, and the light of the world went out. The, the sun went down, as it were, and at that point we entered into a biblical nighttime. And that's why Romans chapter 13 and verse 12 says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. What? What day? 
You know, don't you? Again, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 tells you, Behold, the day cometh. The day of the Lord is what he's talking about here. And, and, and what the verse does is describe that at the second coming of Christ, in the midst of the biblical nighttime that the world will be experiencing and is experiencing now, the Son of Righteousness will rise on this planet and it will be the day of the Lord. Okay, I went through all of that to talk about the nighttime and the Son, who is the personification of Christ. So do you actually understand what's been happening out there? God has rented out the canopy of space for the last 2,190,000 days in a row. For the last 6,000 years. You know what happens every single day? The sun goes down, and it becomes night. And the sun rises in the morning, and it's the day. And what I'm saying to you is God has found a way in creation <laughs> to preach the theme of every dimension of existence but not only is the second coming of Christ the theme of the Bible, the theme of Bible preaching, the theme of creation, but do you also recognize that it's the theme of prayer? In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. And obviously this is a very familiar prayer, uh, or maybe better stated, a better outline, or a, uh, an outline to guide are praying, and I want you to notice that in this, in this guide for praying, in verse 2, he begins by talking about our Father, and so he's teaching us that when we are praying, we come before our God recognizing the relationship that we are able to experience with him now. We were of our Father, the devil, and now we call the God of the universe our Father, which makes all of us His sons and daughters. And so we come into His presence recognizing the relationship that we have with Him, not just as a Father, but a perfect Father. He's not like our earthly Father, as cool as yours may have been. This one is our Father, which art in heaven, a perfect Father. And understanding that relationship that is ours with him, our perfect God and Father. You know what we do? We hallow his name. And we worship him. And we ain't asked for nothing yet. <laughs> and here it comes. The first request of prayer that Jesus taught us when he was guiding us to pray. And you know what it is? For us to express the desire in our hearts for his kingdom to come. You know when it's coming? At his second coming. <laughs> That's why he's coming. 
to set up the kingdom. It's that time on this planet, as the rest of the verse goes on to, to say, when his will is being carried out on the earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Again, what this is, is a prayer that has to do with the second coming of Christ. And so, like I said a few minutes ago, God has used every conceivable means possible to make sure that we completely understand just how significant Christ's second coming is to the Father. And because it's so significant to Him, y'all, it should be significant to us. And so that's the first key truth, that we got to make sure we allow the Spirit of God to allow us to be fully entrenched that there is one theme that permeates every dimension of existence and that is Christ's kingdom glory and, and once we have that here's the the second key truth that we've got to get fully entrenched into our mind our heart and our, our soul and our spirit number two the father is passionate about establishing Christ's kingdom glory on the earth. I'm not so sure we totally get that. (laughs) He is passionate about establishing Christ's kingdom glory on the earth. And he's passionate about it for two reasons. Letter A. He's passionate about it because... It's when our Lord Jesus Christ finally gets the glory that he deserves. And let me assure you of this. Okay, before I even start down this path, I, I got to just tell you, I do not have the words to articulate or describe to you just how passionate the Father is for his Son. We, we might could say it this way, that this, this book contains the greatest love story ever told. And, and again, the thing that comes at a, as a surprise to those of us living in these last days is that the love story isn't first and foremost about us. It includes us, but it isn't primarily about us. What this is, is the record of a love story between a loving father and his son. And what the father has always had in his heart is for there to be a kingdom of worshipers who understand why it is that the father is so passionate about his son. And those worshipers find the greatest joy hallowing his name. And the father is filled with joy because the worshipers feel about his son the way he feels about his son. But listen, do you realize that ever since man sinned in the garden, 
There has not been a single minute of a single day when God's Son has received what the psalmist was repeatedly talking about. Him receiving the glory that is due His name. Not one second, not one day, y'all, has He received that. But listen, for the last 2,190,000 days, rather than receiving the, the glory that is due His name, do you understand what has happened to His name, y'all? It has been defied and denied and despised, and disgraced, and degraded, and maligned, and reproached, and blasphemed, and discredited, and dishonored, and desecrated, and downtrodden, and profaned. That's what's happened to his name. But you got to know, man, what the Father has in his heart for his Son is that day when he'll look at him and say, it's time. And heaven is going to open. And he'll come back to this earth, not with the veil of flesh like he came with in his first coming, but as Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31 says, he will come to this earth in all of his glory and all of the holy angels will be with him and he's coming to sit upon the throne of his glory but before he sits on that throne he's going to settle the score and the way that 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 through 9 describe it is the Lord Jesus Christ this is a description of the second coming. The Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, just like we saw in Matthew 25 just a second ago. He's coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. And this will be the time as Isaiah 21 and verse 9 talks about, when all of the false systems of religion, all of the false systems of government represented in Babylon, oh, buddy, they will fall at his feet, and he will blast them, to coin a phrase, to kingdom come. And after all of this time, the reality of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 will be enacted as every knee is bowing to him. And every tongue is confessing him as Lord. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 says that all of his saints will glorify him and all of his saints will open our mouths in admiration of him and in contrast to his saints zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 14 says 
that all of the men who were too mighty to humble themselves by bowing bowing their knee uh, for all of their existence, all of those who were too mighty to call on Him as Lord all of their lives are going to be crying bitterly in the streets. The mighty men. All of the men on this planet that are walking around thinking they're all that. And they're going to be crying bitterly in the streets. In this world of men which at the time of Noah, according to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and verse 11, the earth at that point and the people of this planet were filled with such wickedness that he says that every imagination of the thoughts of men's heart was only evil continually and was totally corrupt and filled with violence. And you know what God had to do to that earth in Noah's day? God had to deal with it by judging it with a flood so he could start over. And I bring that up because I want to make sure that you understand that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37 that when he comes to set up his kingdom, that the composition of the world is going to be a whole lot like it was in Noah's day. And again, we're there, y'all. I mean, we're really close to it fitting that description that we just saw in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and verse 11. Our world is corrupt and filled with violence. Men's hearts are filled with wickedness. And all of the thoughts of men's heart is only evil continually. But listen, y'all. When Jesus comes at his second coming to set up his kingdom on the earth, he will crush all of the corruption, all of the violence, all of the wickedness, all of those imaginations. And as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 prophesied, and as Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 emphasized, along with all of the corruption and violence and wickedness of man, listen, he's going to crush that old serpent called the devil and Satan, and Jesus will spank him like a two-year-old at Kmart, and Satan, that powerful, deceitful, insidious, blasphemous force in this world is going to be defanged and declawed and dethroned and defrocked. And this earth, try to get this in your head, this earth for the first time in 6,000 years will finally be at rest. We'll finally be at peace. We'll finally experience joy. And as Acts 17 in verse 31 says, the Lord will finally judge in righteousness. But as Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10 talked about, the the kingdom is finally going to come, y'all. And and again, his will for the first time in 6,000 years is going to be done on this earth. 
as it is in heaven and this earth, which tonight is so clueless about who Jesus is and so clueless about his power and might and so clueless about what he has done, so clueless about the glory of which he is worthy. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 14 says that in that day when the kingdom comes, the earth will be filled, oh listen, not with violence and wickedness and every imagination of man's heart that is only evil continually. The earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Just like the waters cover the sea. In other words, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will be inherent in the earth. It'll just be what the earth is. The water is the sea. The sea is the water. And at this point, the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the, earth, of the Lord. And, and this earth, which tonight is so void of worship, Psalm 66 and verse 4 says, that all of the earth from one end to the other shall worship thee and sing unto thee. And the psalmist felt like he had to repeat it. Mm. They shall sing unto thy name. And my brothers and sisters, if we'll ever really be able to contextualize what life and history and the Bible and even our own salvation, if we'll ever really get what it's really about, we've got to understand that this is what the Father has been passionate about for His Son. And He has been passionate about it since the foundation of the world. And listen, y'all, regardless of what it might look like in the world right now, His kingdom will be established on this earth. I love the way that Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 talk about this. In, in verse 6, it, it's, it's the first coming of Christ. It's, it's everything that we, we sing about at Christmas time. Okay? It, his name shall be called Wonderful, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and all of those things were true in His first coming. Uh, of the increase of His government, this was not in his first coming this is the second coming of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of david and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever here comes the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this you can bank on the fact his son is going to sit on that throne. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. Our father is passionate about his son getting the glory that is due his name. And again, I say to you, that is what he has in his heart tonight. Listen, because it's when our Lord Jesus Christ finally gets what he deserves but there's a second reason 
that the Father is so passionate about it. Not only because it's going to be the time when his son gets what he deserves, but it's the time when Satan gets what he deserves. And man, you talk about an incredible double whammy. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to imagine anything better than that, right? I mean, Jesus getting what he deserves, and at the very same time, I mean, hey, listen, if that was all it was, was just Jesus getting what he deserves, we'd all be going, hey, but what about Satan? When's he get what he, it happens at the same time. I mean, for real. What could get better than that? And again, let me tell you. The Father's passionate about Satan getting what he deserves. And and to really really get it, I'm going to have to take you on a quick little journey. Now, you're going to have to write fast. Don't get aggravated at me. Okay? But I I do want to take you on this little journey because... If you don't understand this, I'm not so sure that you'll really understand why it is that our Father is so passionate, not only about His Son getting it, but Satan getting it. First of all, because of what Satan has done to humanity for the last 6,000 years. Because of what Satan has done to humanity for the last 6,000 years. And let me, let me tell you what the Bible says that he has done. Letter A. He has sought to lay hold on us. Listen, y'all, from our very birth, he seeks to get what 2 Corinthians 10, 4 calls a stronghold on us. He wants to get his hands on us and hold us captive at his will. Next, Isaiah 61 and verse 1 says that he seeks to bind us. Psalm 68 and verse 6 says that we are bound with a chain. And once he lays hold on us and binds us with a chain, Isaiah 42 and verse 7 says that he seeks to cast us into his prison. And the picture in Isaiah 42 and verse 7 is so incredibly graphic, y'all, because it says that we sit as prisoners in his prison sitting in darkness because we have been blinded and that's why second corinthians 4 4 says the god of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not and once he has bound us and cast us into prison next letter d he seeks to shut us up in his prison second timothy chapter 2 verse 26 calls his prison his snare or his his trap and again it says that he holds us captive at his will and the reason for it letter e is he wants to seal our eternal destiny so that we spend eternity separated from god in the place that matthew 25 and verse 41 says is the place of everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels listen y'all do you understand that little thing that we just went through that was our condition before we came to christ 
he had laid hold on us. He had bound us with a chain. He cast us into prison. He shut us up in that thing. And at that point, our eternal destiny was everlasting fire. And man, I hope you get a picture of that. I hope you never forget that. And I hope that you also realize that that's the condition of just about every single person that we're going to come in contact with in this week. Some of you may be here tonight, and that's your condition at this very moment. Do you recognize that what we're about to see is what could happen for you tonight? Because I want you to watch, number two, what the Bible says that Jesus has done for believers at salvation. Listen, because somebody cared enough to give us the gospel, what happened is God reached out through that message, the message of the gospel, and you know what he did? He laid hold on us. Colossians 1.13 says that he reached down into the darkness where Satan held us in his power and he laid hold on us and he translated us out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. And letter B, Isaiah 61.1 says that through the message of Christ's gospel, he broke the chains that bound us. Isaiah 61 in verse 1 says, He proclaimed liberty to the captives. Luke 4, 18 says, He preached deliverance to the captives. And when He broke those chains, let us see, He brought us out of prison. Isaiah 42 in verse 7, He brought out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. And letter D, he delivered us out of our bondage. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 say that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ was, that was exercised through his death had the power to destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, listen, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their life, lifetime subject to bondage. And what Jesus did is he laid hold on us, he broke the chains that bound us, he brought us out of Satan's prison, he delivered us out of the bondage that he had used to shut us down, and letter E, he sealed us with his Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say that when we heard the word of truth and trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, it says that we were placed in Christ and then sealed with his Holy Spirit of promise and now our eternal destiny is guaranteed by the very Spirit of God. And, and so listen, are, are you actually seeing this? What Christ actually did through his death, burial, and resurrection is he undid all of the works of the devil. But again, you're really going to understand why the Father is so passionate 
about Satan getting what he deserves, you've got to understand this next thing, and that is what Satan did to Christ at his first coming. What Satan did to Christ at his first coming. L- listen, all through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan, through the religious leaders, you know what he was seeking to do? He was seeking to lay hold on him. You see that in Mark chapter 12 and verse 12. You see it in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 46. But you know what? He, could, he never could. What the Bible keeps saying is that he passed from their midst because his hour had not yet come. But in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know what hour had come? That hour. And Satan, again, Jesus had passed from his midst so many times as he tried to lay hold on him. And and now the religious leaders came and letter A, laid hold on him. And John chapter 8 and verse 12 goes on to say, this is letter B, that Satan, through those religious leaders, bound him. And they led him away. Can you imagine what the Father is feeling right now? Isaiah 53 and verse 8 says, this is letter C, he cast him into prison. Isaiah 53 and verse 8 goes on to say that he was cut off out of the land of the living and Jesus died on the cross and after his death, letter D, he shut him up in a grave. Matthew 27 verse 66 says that they made the sepulcher or the grave sure. In other words, they, they, they shut him up tight and Matthew 27, verse 66 goes on to say, letter E, that he, Satan, sealed the stone, obviously, to keep him in. <laughs> and listen, at that point, Satan thought he had him. And he laughed. And he gloated. And he reveled in his victory. But I think this is a group of people that understands that after three days, you know what Satan found out? (laughs) The reason that he could lay hold on him and the reason he could bind him and cast him into prison and shut him up in the grave and seal the tomb wasn't because of his power. It was simply to fulfill prophecy. But listen, once you see what Satan did to Christ at his first coming, and then, number four, once you see what Jesus will do to Satan at his second coming, then you really begin to understand why it is that the Father is so unbelievably passionate about Christ returning to this earth and establishing his kingdom Because the first three verses of Revelation chapter 20 reveal some awesome stuff about what Jesus is going to do, especially after seeing what Satan has done to him. Because letter A, 
What's going to happen at the second coming of Christ, y'all, is Jesus is going to lay hold on him. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2 says that he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And verse 1 of Revelation 20 lets us know, this is letter B, that Jesus is going to bind him with a chain. And once he does, verse 3 says, that letter C, Jesus will cast him into prison verse 3 says that jesus cast him into the bottomless pit and coincidentally enough verse 7 in this passage is careful to identify the bottomless pit as satan's prison and verse 3 goes on to say that once he's in there jesus is gonna shut him up and certainly what's implied here is what i put in letter d jesus is gonna shut him up in that prison But it makes me start shaking my head with a a grit when I read verse 3 that Jesus is finally going to shut him up. (laughs) Because do you realize ever since Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, he has been running his fat trap. He's been doing it for the last 6,000 years. He's been deceiving people through his lies. He's lied about this book. He's lied about my Savior. He lies about who I am in Christ. And finally, Jesus is going to shut him up. (laughs) And he'll lay hold on him. He'll bind him with a chain. He'll cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up in that thing. And once he does, letter E, he will seal him there for a thousand years. Revelation 20 and verse 3 says that Jesus will set a seal. You can't make this stuff up, y'all. Jesus will set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled. Listen, y'all. That's why the Father is passionate about Christ's kingdom glory being established on the earth because it will be when his son finally gets what he deserves and because it will be when Satan finally gets what he deserves. Okay, that's awesome. Because it comes from an awesome book. (laughs) But there's a third key truth that I... We need to make sure that we allow ourselves to be totally entrenched in. Okay, we just looked at number two. The Father is passionate about establishing Christ's kingdom glory on the earth. (laughs) But number three, please, listen. Don't miss this one. The Father is just as passionate about establishing Christ's kingdom glory in our lives. I'm not talking about in the millennium now. I'm talking about in Laodicea. I'm talking about in the last days of the the church age. Yes, 
The Father is passionate about establishing Christ's kingdom glory on the earth in the future. But right now, y'all, he's passionate about establishing Christ's kingdom glory in our lives. Because, and please listen very carefully, okay? It's almost as if we are just a miniature. This little individual life that we're all living, it's almost like we're just a, a miniature of the earth. And because this world was thrust into sin, there was a time before we came to Christ when we were totally incapable of bringing him glory. John chapter 8 and verse 44 tells us that at that time, we were so separated and so disconnected from a relationship with God that we were actually of our father, the devil, and our connection was with him and wasn't with God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 tells us that at that time we were Christless, covenantless, helpless, hopeless, godless. That's quite a description, y'all. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 tells us that we, we've looked at this several times tonight, we were in the snare of the devil. We had been taken captive by him at his will. And Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3 tell us that at that time, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and we did whatever these fleshly bodies told us to do. And we did whatever these carnal minds could think to do. But one day, what happened to us is we heard the gospel, which the Bible defines as the good news that Jesus bore our payment for our sin through his death on the cross and he was buried and he, he rose from the dead and you know what we did when we heard that message the reason you're in this room tonight is because of what you did when you heard that message just like me you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and yes y'all Please track with me on this now. Yes, we have the promise now. And we do look forward to the day when he comes and he establishes that eternal kingdom. We, we, we've got that to look forward to after we die. But what our God fully intended is that Christ would move into our lives and he would sit on the throne of his glory in our lives and establish his kingdom glory in every part of us. Just like he's, we've been preaching all night, just like when he comes and he sits on the throne of his glory in Jerusalem and establishes the kingdom on the earth at his second coming. He wants to sit on the throne of our hearts now. And just like when he establishes his kingdom on the earth, he wants to come into our lives and crush all of the enemies that would keep us from bringing him glory, namely the world, 
the flesh and the devil. He wants to come and crush all of that inside of us so that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15, so that we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're living unto him and to his kingdom. And so the reality of Romans chapter 6 and verse 14 is we're no longer allowing sin to have dominion over us because Christ has dominion over us. And as 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 talk about, that we would allow the Word of God to abide in us and strengthen us so that in this life, the life we're living right now, we might overcome the wicked one. And just like when the kingdom comes to the earth, we live our lives right now with Satan's power defeated so that all of the false ways of thinking and all of the idols in our lives that are expressed through our covetousness are all cast at his feet. Just like it's going to be in the kingdom. Just like Babylon's falling. All of the idols through the covetousness of our life are crushed. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Crushed by his righteousness as he establishes Listen, his righteousness and his glory in our lives now. And as Colossians 3 and verse 15 says, his peace is ruling in our hearts. And we enter into what Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 3 calls that rest that God intended for his people. Listen, and we carry out in our lives his will as it is in heaven. Because as Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, we presented our bodies as a living sacrifice and our lives are marked by holiness and we're totally acceptable to God in the practice, not just the position of our life, but the practice of our lives. We're no longer conformed to this world, but we've been transformed because our minds have been renewed. And through our lives, we prove what is that good and perfect, acceptable will of God. on the earth in us now and the longing of our heart just like paul expressed in philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 is that we may know him and that longing leads us deeper into his truth and in pursuit of him listen y'all until we are filled 
with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Just like the waters cover the sea, just like it'll be in the kingdom. Now. Recognizing that according to Jesus, what Jesus said to his father in prayer the night before he died in John chapter 17 and verse 3. Do you understand that that's what Jesus defined as life eternal? Knowing the Father and knowing the Son, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. Yeah, it's when the kingdom's coming, but it's what salvation was intended to be. And just like when the kingdom comes on the earth, we saw it earlier, all of the earth is worshiping and singing unto his name. What, what he intended through our salvation is for worship to fully get established in our lives so that all of our life becomes an expression of our worship. And as Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 says, there's a song in our hearts and we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody when we come into the big room and the band begins to play. No. In our hearts to the Lord Listen, y'all. That's what salvation is all about. All of the kingdom characteristics that will ultimately be established on the earth in the future being fully established in our lives now. You know I love you. But please, don't tell me that you're longing for him to get the glory that he deserves in the future. If that same longing is not the longing in your heart for right now. And you see, as I said at the beginning, you know what God intended for all of the worshipers? that would be born again and become the bride of Christ is for them to understand why the Father was so passionate about giving Him glory so that we feel about His Son the way that He feels about Him. And, and it's not going to happen, y'all, until the kingdom comes. It's not going to happen until the second coming. We've talked about the rapture. It's going to be awesome for us, but it's down on the earth man he's still not getting the glory that is due his name and that's why the bible tells us to do the things that it tells us to do in preparation for christ's coming it's going to come quick in matthew chapter or, or mark chapter 13 and verse 35 the bible tells us we're to watch for his coming matthew chapter 6 and verse 10 as we saw earlier we're to pray for his coming 
Titus chapter 2, verse 13, we are to hope for his coming. Revelation 22, verse 20, we are to long for his coming. Romans 8, 23, we're to groan for his coming. Oh, y'all, where are the people who groan like creation is groaning? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, we're to love his coming. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, we're to live for his coming. Now listen, y'all. That is what the Father is passionate about when it comes to our lives. I'll say it one final time before we move into our conclusion. What our Father really wants. Yes, He can't wait for His Son to sit on the throne in His kingdom and get the glory that is due His name. But in terms of us, He wants to establish Christ's kingdom glory in us. And in conclusion, and I'll, I'll just do this briefly. The first thing that I, I want us to walk out of here with tonight is this. God wants to establish Christ's kingdom glory in us because He wants to extend Christ's kingdom glory through us. You know who's really effective in reaching people with the gospel, y'all? It's people that manifest through their life Christ's kingdom glory. And he wants other worshipers to be brought into his everlasting family and be brought into the everlasting kingdom. God wants to establish Christ's kingdom glory in us because he wants to extend Christ's kingdom glory through us. And then secondly, until, and I've, I've said this, this is now the fourth time in this message, but I want to make sure we get it. Until Christ's kingdom glory is the passion and theme of our lives, we'll miss the point of the Bible, <laughs> our salvation, and thus the purpose for our very existence. Hey, hey y'all. If he's not going to get glory out of our lives here, he might as well go ahead and kill us. <laughs> and I say that in the nicest possible way. <laughs> because, li listen, y'all. Once we die and we're in his presence, do you understand that we're going to begin to love him more intimately than we've ever loved him we're going to worship him more passionately than we have ever worshiped him we're going to know him more completely than we have ever known him and listen if he's not going to be able to get the glory from our lives now he might as well take us home and then finally at the judgment seat of Christ. 
we will give an account for whether Christ's kingdom was established in us and extended through us. And we will be rewarded accordingly. and, And please resist the urge to pack up. I know that's the final blankie. So we're done. Okay. Listen, you're packing up. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) What what I've tried to do tonight is take this event that we we all at least act like we're gaga about (laughs) and and try to get it real practical in our lives and, and let us understand that We're kidding ourselves (laughs) about us really longing for that day if every day that we wake up, we don't have the longing for him to get the glory that he deserves through us. What, What if we started tomorrow like this? Lord, I know that all over the earth today, your name is going to be blasphemed. Your word is going to be totally disregarded. And so, Lord, I pray for the kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But, Lord, I know that 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 time isn't going to come at least for another seven years. And so, Lord, if there's not any place on this planet where you're receiving the glory that is due your name, man, would you let it be in me today? May I be one place on this planet where your will is being carried out on the earth as it is in heaven? What if, what if, what if as we prepared for the judgment seat of Christ, That's what we had in our hearts. Unless unless we have that passion for Him to be glorified through us right now. Wow. There will be no crown of righteousness for any of us. The crown of righteousness is for those who love is appearing. Do you love it enough for his appearance to be fully manifest in your life on a daily basis? That's what he wants to do for every single person that has called upon the name of the Lord to save us so that we, we exit this life And so everything that we tried to experience together last night isn't like some big shocker. It's just the continuation of what we've been doing. We've been worshiping him for who he is on the earth. And we're translated into his presence to be able to do it there. And forever and ever and ever. Pastor Jeff, why don't you come and put a bow on it for us?